Welcome back, you guys. I appreciate your being here. Thank you on Lost Arts Radio again with me, Richard Sachs, your host, and our guest for this series, Dr. Gabriel Cousins. This is uh, Conversations with Gabriel, who has graciously offered to give us his insights in general principles and what's happening in the world. And the reason we're taking the time to do this is because of you and your basically the people that are the hope for the future, the ones who are going to demonstrate sanity and act like the long-forgotten normal state of humanity. So you're very much appreciated. And uh, I think that all of you are holding the power to heal yourselves and the world at the same time. This is just a little bit of encouragement to do it no matter what's happening around you. So let's see what Dr. Cousins has to share with us this week. And welcome, Dr. Cousins. Nice to see you again. Okay, well, it's good to be with you also. So I, as usual, I'll start with a prayer, merging the heart and the mind, which is really what needs to happen in the world, and not just the U.S., but the world. I feel that connection, heart and mind. Okay. So this has uh, obviously been a difficult week for many people, and uh, it, it further is marking uh, the degeneration of the American society, but at the same time, a regeneration. And that's, of course, what the focus is on. You know, we look at the Evaldi thing in Texas and it's like, how can it be that the police needed more backup for a single shooter? How do they that misdiagnose a barricade when the guy is shooting people? Fortunately, one of the people who tried to call them from inside survived. Okay? But the point, and, and expose the fact that no, this was a barricade. We were telling you what was going on. It was an active shooter. It's like, what is going on? How do you hire police who are too afraid to go in and rescue the kids and, and two adults, you know, who obviously got killed? It's like, what happened to courage? What happened to heroes? What happened to caring about other people? What happened to doing your job? You know, I respect the police, but again, it's a it's a risky job. It just goes with the territory. Why are they? To, why were they told to stand down? Who is telling them to stand down? Now we don't want to really make it. I, obviously, the police chief did tell them. Who was talking to the police chief? And so, I mean, it keeps going on and on. There's some special plane that flew in three minutes before the kid's car crashed and. It left two minutes before he was shot. It's like, what is happening here? You know, in terms of uh, the manipulation of the mind. But it can't happen if people maintain their spiritual strength, maintain their spiritual awareness. And so, to me, one of the heroic kind of stories is the mother who went to rescue her kids and they handcuffed her. It's like, uh, wait a second, we're just civilians, we're just trying to take care of our kids. 
So somebody took the handcuffs off. She jumped over a fence and went and got, ran into school and got her kids and got them out. Um, that's what parents do. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what I would do for my grandchildren. You know, in that situation, it's like I'm not waiting around 45 minutes where he's shooting people. It's like no, this is this is not. So, this, so this lady showed real courage. She didn't go in armed, as far as I know. She just went in, went to her kids' classroom, got them out of the school before more craziness could happen. And uh, so, how did this happen? Um, you know, the police chief now is a, and was previously elected to the city council. It's like nobody does anything. So his his uh, stumble on the city council. So what's wrong with this picture? Where's morals? Where's ethics? Well, we know that the in the founding of this country, it was like you, you have a republic, but you have to be able to keep it. And, you know, they took the ten speakings out of public spaces. Well, okay, it's, a, it's part of the Judeo-Christian religion, uh, I understand. But they're basically the no-wide principles which apply to everyone. And they're, they're ways of life where, where life is respected. And it's like, okay, you take away those issues you take away those directions, you take away those guidances, and you weaken the moral fabric. And when you weaken the moral fabric, you have police that are afraid to deal with a teenage active shooter. Or they, you know, you'd have to be brain dead not to understand hearing shots going on, thinking it's a barricaded situation. And it's like, what's happening? Where's the morals? Where's the ethics? Where's the people standing up for what's right? Now, the good news is I think this is encouraging more people to look at this and stand up, you know, for what uh, some level of moral integrity. And to me, that's, that's how the positive side of how I see it. And that, to me, that's where we want to emphasize it. It's just really hard when a whole, you know, whatever police group stands down. It was, you know, and it's like 19 people get killed? Is there chicken? And not knowing their job? What is the story? So the story is people have lost their moral courage and their spiritual connection, which is behind moral courage. And that is what we need to face within ourselves and start encouraging people to actually regain it back. So that's how my opening statement is. Richard, if you have any comment about that, I'd like to hear. Sure. Um, I really am in line with everything that you said and I think it's, you know, looking for the bottom line of all that. It's kind of like we've forgotten what normal is. And we've developed blind trust in authority. And that only happens when you're accepting the training that you're helpless. And that, you know, freedom is subservient to emergencies. 
and that the leaders will tell you when you can have freedom and when you can't. And it's easy to forget, if you look at the history of governments, they're murderous. There, there was a study by uh, Dr., I think it was Dr. Hummel at the University of Hawaii, who's no longer living at the moment, but uh, it was a study on what's called democide, you know, the, the killing of populations by their own governments. And in the 20th century, <clears throat> the 1900s, he found that there were something like six, 262 million uh, people in populations all around the world that were murdered by their own governments, not as part of war, <clears throat> but just murdered. And so there are a lot of people who respond by saying, well, we should be anarchists, you know, and government is the problem. What they're not realizing, government is not its own entity. It's an organizational structure for people. And it's the people in the government that do these things. It's basically private gangs, a network of private mafias that happen to form into what's called governments. But where they can't do it as a government, they do it as drug cartels or private gangs or whenever they can. So uh, whether they take the form of a government or just hordes, you know, riding horseback across the plains long ago in Asia, it, it really doesn't matter. It's a tendency of humans. So the unique idea of the founding of America was that we, we need to use the structure of government as a protection for all the states together against foreign invasion and against criminal activity where they want to take away freedom. But that's all. That's the only function. And that that's all under the supervision of the people themselves. And that only works if the people are conscious. Because otherwise, no matter what form you make, democracy or republics or any other form, they turn into self-destructive units if the people aren't conscious. So it comes right back to what you've been talking about, that the, the bottom line to bring governments back to sanity is requiring that the people regain their consciousness, what you said, their spiritual connection. And then stuff like this doesn't happen. Okay, that's, that's good. I mean... That's what we're facing. The question is, how do we do this? So in a way, the only thing is the peace. Well, we also know that there's, since uh, the last six months, there's been 600, roughly 635 people killed in Chicago. Yeah. And nobody made any uh, a mention of that. Now, I, I work with street gangs in Chicago and in the south side of Chicago and the in the time I was there, two years I worked with, nobody got killed. I, what, what, and then the day I left, eight people got killed. Okay, what happened? Why? In fact, they even had the gang members stopping riots, which is very trippy. You know, the police couldn't believe it. So what happened? I examined that, okay? So I used to work, uh, this is, did some work at the University of Chicago, and, and at night I would uh, take a bus and go to 3800 South. So 
um, and and work with the uh, one major street gang called the Valiant Lords. It's it about three hundred kids. Okay, They're, they weren't in their twenties. They were seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, that kind of thing. And one of the things that really, really impressed me is they didn't expect to live past their early 20s. Right. Life expectation as well. So when you feel that way, you actually don't feel you have very much to lose. Okay, so that's that was very important. The other thing is uh, they didn't want to hear tapes of Martin Luther King but they, they really liked Malcolm X. And there, there was a sense of self-esteem in a way that they, they got from that, in a good way. And literally, once there was a riot, and the riot happens fast, a bus hit a kid, you know, and there were thousands, of, literally thousands of people on the street in five minutes. It was like, whoa. And... I just had to be there and I got the game. So, so this isn't let's take charge here. Literally, let's take charge. So we basically quilled the riot. It was a scene. I'm, I'm standing on top of a car kind of directing. things like, I was like the only white person there. And it was like, whoa, it was very strange. But we quilled the riot. How come? Well, because he was building the self-esteem of the kids. Okay? So these teenagers who had no expectation of living, I'm mentioning teenagers, we're also mentioning this killer was a teenager. Okay? Mm-hmm. But how did it happen? You know, that these black street kids created and quilled a riot, did really good, did really nice work. You know, we had a we started a community garden. It's like what happened is that my work with them—not that I'm a hero in this—but the way I psychically worked with them is was building real self-esteem, real a sense of value of their lives, and so they began to feel important not because they were carrying a gun around but because their lives had some value. Their lives had some meaning. And that was my impression of how it worked um, in, in the bigger picture. And so we can make that happen. But people need to be inspired that their lives have meaning and purpose. If you just expect that you're going to be shot and killed by the time you're 20. It's like, this is not really a good career approach, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But what I found is these these kids, you know, and this is boys and girls, um, and I was not much older. I mean, I'm in my early 20s. I'm playing basketball with them and, you know, we're bouncing each other around, um, that kind of thing. So I was physical. Uh, it, but it worked. You know, they felt respected. And life is meaningful. What we're seeing today is that's not what's happening. And 
you take the the, the, the police and stood down of, of, with ridiculous orders, and they basically say my retirement is more important than saving these kids, these nine and ten year olds. Like, what happened here? So, I think we build moral and ethics not by giving religious talks. That's why I mentioned Martin Luther King, okay, and he was terrific. But really inspiring people to believe in themselves and to feel good about themselves and to do good. Our focus was actually physical acts of doing good. A community garden, the South Side of Chicago, no one ever heard of that. You know, quelling riots. So what I'm saying is it worked. Uh, in real lifetime, is it building a sense of self-esteem and purpose can actually make a difference. My sense is those police, maybe they didn't have much going, and, and, and it's like, okay, my retirement is all I'm living for here. I don't really care what happens. You know, I don't want to be too critical, but what's happening now in society is that there's a sense of hopelessness. And um, there's another piece. I don't know about that airplane, but this kid was into some satanic stuff and some cross-dressing, and he was somewhat mentally disturbed. Now, that's not an excuse for killing people. But... Um, he didn't have a resource for him to seek meaning in his life except to kill people to get a shorthand of meaning. And uh, that's, I think, what we're seeing in the society at large, whether it's a teenager uh, acting that way or you know, business executives uh, cheating and stealing in different ways. It's, it's the same thing money and power uh, in different ways. So that's just an insight into to a kind of a way to think about it. You know, the value of heroism, the value of, and then that's what we did with these, you know, the gamers. Like, how do you become legitimate heroes, not ego healer, ego healer you know, egoic with the gun? And when the police came with the riot stuff, we had a meeting with them. And they were just totally amazed. They couldn't actually get what we had done. As I had some of the gang members with me, you know, we were meeting with the police. Because uh, it took place right in front of the Abraham Lincoln Center where I was working. And they, they just, they really couldn't get it. It's like, you did what? No, they did something right. They, this time they stood down, which was very, very good, because it would have messed everything up if they had intervened. <laughs> Everybody was calming down. The riot was, you know, and they they didn't interfere. They let the gang members do it, you know, make it right. So that was a good move on their part. Um, so there's a time to be out front. There's a time to be quiet, you know. Uh, they just got it mixed up in the Evaldi thing and people didn't rebel. Um, so, anyway, that's a little bit of an insight. Now, if we extend that to... The, let's start with the United States, okay? 
to people beginning to put value on life in their life and other people's lives and put an emphasis on morality, integrity, and, and being nice to each other as a value, it changes the game. It can change pretty quickly. Because, you know, people like this, they all people are all humans are bad. No, I, I take the I take the other position. All humans have that light within them and all we have to do is activate it. So that's how I look at what we can do here. That's just a short little explanation of how to look at it. You're kind of putting the whole thing in the context of a gang situation. You know, a gang problem, a gang solution. And in a way, the the gang that became the hero in, in the situation that you described could have been like the police in the Uvalde situation if they had been a gang that was properly yes. motivated. So yes. gang, gang is... That's why I kind of use that. Yeah. yeah, and gang is not necessarily a pejorative term. It just means there's a structure of people who are trying to do what the gang ideals say. So a gang can become the savior in a situation right. like that. And the police, in many respects, are a gang as well. And if you look at, you know, they could have been the gang that was the savior in Uvalde if they had responded correctly. And right. On a bigger scale, countries, not, not countries, but their governments are gangs too. Or very networks. conscious gangs, very conscious gangs. Yeah networks of gangs yeah. and if you were hired to work with them that would be really interesting to see what you would do because I think it would be real similar to what you did in the first case well we got two pieces I was part of a, a, a National Institute of Mental Health like career development program so I actually did get hired yeah, uh, yeah. and actually I didn't deal with it. They, 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 there's nowhere. It was too massive. <laughs> okay. I forget it. I'm, this is not gonna, what I want. Um, so I'm uh, just kind of making a, a little bit of a joke, but I'm saying part of what we're looking at the U.S. government, it's pretty massive and it takes a lot more people to turn it around. Right, but what if you were given the resources and people that would help you and you were just the director, and they were saying, you start in a country like the United States, where there's a network of mafia gangs running the country, and they're really badly behaved gangs, and they're in a hierarchy, and at the top of it is the open, you know, Satan worshippers wearing whatever shirt goes with that, yeah. right? And there was some good organization said, Dr. Cousins, you've got some experience. We don't have very many people with positive gang experience. What? And you can have resources, you can have helpers, you can train the helpers. How would you work with these gangs if you had all the resources you want? Uh, I think um, when we're talking about uh, government officials. Those and the NGOs, which are also gangs. Yeah. Um, partner gangs. Yeah, well, it's it's about money and power. So yeah, these people, these people, 
have basically sold their souls. Yes. So they've been bought off. They can, you know, and so to counterpoint that, there's a, uh, you have to get people to say, hey, wait, your soul is worth something. Right. Selling it to the devil is not a winning situation. And there's more to life than money and power and sex. And that's how I would, you know, try to get through to people. Um, it's hard when it's such a big web. I think that battle is going on today. I, I don't know. You know, you hear the rumors of the white hats and the black hats and that. But there, there is some forces of light working in government. I know I your white hat, so it's appropriate. That's right. That's right. So my sense is there are people doing that with a certain level of, of power. And we may be very uh, positively surprised in the, you know, before the elections that they could, you know, and, and this is just speculation, but there needs to be a move uh, on this at some point. You know, we're hearing, I'm hearing, uh, you know, they've been pretty successful in, in clearing a lot of the dark webs, so to speak, of people. So I don't know if you've heard anything like that. Again, there could be rumor. I want it to be true. Um you know, I don't know because I've been hearing things like that for 20 years. And it's it's been very similar the whole time that it's almost ready to show up. And there, there are these white hats uh, with massive resources and power. And, you know, some of the stories are, well, the bad guys have been replaced with clones and CGI and impersonators. And that seems silly to me because... If you replace the people and they, your replacement keeps doing the same crimes. Yeah, I actually feel the same way, to be honest with you. Well, it doesn't the, make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. The benefit of that is highly questionable. Yeah. Right? They have to, at some point, actually do something different. Yes. And, and that's kind of what has to happen. That's where the moral, ethics, spirit... Mm-hmm. And somehow people have to begin to value spirit... Their own, uh, you know, uh, their own soul above uh, these temptations. And all the people who are listening to you now, or any other time, are potential leaders and heroes of the movement. Yeah. They, they don't have to wait for card-carrying white hats. That's right. Anybody who wants to be one is. Right. So... It's really about, it's time for all of us to step up in whatever way we can to become not passive observers, but active. Yeah. Stop for who we are. Stop believing we're helpless. Correct. You know, and, and that maybe one of the early stages is if you're given a suicidal or criminal order, well, of course you don't follow it. Well... That's right. You have to be willing. So these police, police they didn't follow, probably would have, well, I don't know, may or may not have lost their jobs because they would have been heroes and they would have gone in and stopped it. But they have to be willing to lose their jobs to, or else they'll never do it, right? That's right. That's my point. That 
That's asking a lot. You know, that's why the three guys who for Border Patrol came in and did it. Yeah, that so, was. It, was, it takes courage, but it was. This is not an impossible situation, right? Right. And everybody's faced with those things every day. Yep. Right. And, and that's why this is positive because it it can be used to be positive because it it is a um, encouragement to say, well, we can't just keep living like this in fear, you know. Uh, there, there is no safety here. You know, say, well, just follow what we say, you'll be safe. That just isn't true. Right. And I think we're, we're going to see, or we're already seeing, people are saying, well, I'm not waiting for the braces to up. They may not want to show up. They may be too scared. So I'm going to need to take care, be prepared myself, and take care of business myself, or with, you know, having friends nearby to help. Well, and there's going to be situations coming up all the time that will test whether we're open to learning what we need to become. And for example, the the COVID pandemic was planned since at least around 2002, if not earlier. And right now they're about to release pandemic two. And one of the things that I heard is that it may start uh, within a few days. You're talking about the monkeypox or something else? Yeah, they've been using pictures of monkeypox that are actually other diseases, all kinds of things, feeling nobody will notice a difference, which is maybe true. And say, well, we have to you know, do new lockdowns, and we'd love to let you stay free, but it's just too dangerous, so we have to shut down all the remaining commerce and travel and speech and stuff like that. And it's going to be a test to see what attitude will the people take. Well, they are testing, and I, I, it will be very important to see how that goes, because I hope it does. People are going to be much more resistant after the COVID situation. Yeah, and, you know, it might be good also to talk about why did the American founders feel that freedom was so important that there would be no emergency uh, suspension of God-given rights? Well, you kind of said it. It's God-given rights. Who, who, who are we to try to suspend them? You know, and it's so transparent. I mean, you look at the data on the COVID, the lockdowns didn't work. They didn't improve compared to places where they didn't do it. Maybe they made it worse. We now have more evidence that shows the masks actually make things worse for people right. and they increase the rates of you know infection because you're not breathing and you're building up carbon dioxide and, and so forth. So the masks don't work. There's probably over 20 studies that show the masks don't work or 25 studies. Uh, lockdowns don't work, made no difference whatsoever. In previous times when there's been epidemics, you do the obvious. You quarantine the people who are sick, not the people who are healthy. Right. So it's a totally illogical approach, and and because it's illogical, uh, it doesn't didn't work. Suicides go up. 
you devastate the economy, you devastate human-human interaction. It's just, unless you're trying to make this happen, it's a lose-lose-lose-lose down the line. And again, rates of suicide are significantly increased. So these are disastrous social, unless you're trying to cause them. But from my point of view, they're disastrous in years too. Um, they're disastrous social consequences of acting in this level in irrational, unscientific way. And it is irrational. It is unscientific. There's just too many studies showing no. This is this is not the right approach. And in addition to that, I think it's important to remember, even if they were accurate with the science, all they can do as a government or a health agency or an NGO or UN or anything is make a suggestion. They can't order you to hide in your house, even if it worked. That's really a critical distinction. You know, even if the lockdowns worked, they have no authority to order them. I actually wasn't aware of that, but that's great because we have the World Health Organization. That, yeah, it's unconstitutional to give away sovereignty to an international organization. And, it, and it, even if you had no constitution at all, it would be against natural rights and right. freedom. Even if that organization were the most brilliant wise organization that had ever existed. It would be just as wrong to do that. Uh, right? Because it's like a benevolent dictator. Even if they do well for one generation, they give it to their psychotic children, and yeah. you have a problem. But these people aren't even benevolent dictators. No, they're eugenicists. Well, they're not even really eugenicists. They're Satanists. You know, because eugenicists want to have the, their ideal form of humans survive. These guys don't want anybody to survive. Right. That's another step. It's definitely a Satanist thing, and I think more and more people are aware of that. Still a minority, because the, the, the concept of Satanism is pretty intense for people. Um, it's different than being evil. It's worshipping the dark side. And yeah, it, it's it's the essence of evil. And I think that normal people have a really hard time grasping that any of that could actually exist. Partly because they, they feel compromised or dirty or something when they think about it seriously. I, I get what you're saying, and I think it's a problem. I don't... The only thing I can say is is that there is a certain spiritual excess that you get out of staying with the truth, staying with your integrity, staying with your soul. Something very positive happens. And so right. that's really what we have to offer. It's not money and it's not prestige. It's like you really get more and more in touch with your soul and nobody's stealing it. Right. That has to be valued for people. Right. And then you start becoming what you focus on. Right. But, and, but it doesn't that, mean it doesn't mean to be oblivious of the problem. No. 
Yeah. We're not big movies here. Uh, I'm going to mention again uh, a little bit about the hybrids and change the DNA. And there's a VMAT2 gene, which is called a gene. They do interfere with that when people got the injection. So there are things that are literally the dark side is being aware that they're trying to desensitize people from the deeper truth and from God, from spirit and from the soul. Yeah. Yeah. If you're aware of that and open to it, then you know what has to be fixed. Yeah. And I think more and more people are becoming aware of it, which is I consider good news. Yeah. It could really change the whole trajectory of where things are going. But I guess things get, have to get bad enough before people are ready to act. Yeah, and hopefully that's happened already. We don't have to go further. Yeah, I think I think the Evaldi thing is so um, as a turning point. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing when the police stand down against a teenager, you know, and three guys go in and take care of it. Yeah. That Trudeau has just gone public saying that in order to protect the people, we're going to make it illegal to uh, have more of the firearms. In other words, uh, handguns in particular will be outlawed and no more buying or selling of handguns in Canada. And that's how he's going to save people. Well, it's never worked. You know, uh, in Chicago or in front of the... Uh, they have been all guns for years. And yeah. They, you know, and again, in half a year, 235 people have been shot. That's a lot. That's way more than we see in Israel. I mean, that many people would be totally freaked out. So uh, it doesn't work. There's no evidence that it works. So that's the thing that is in question. It's the policy in Mexico right now that... And that clearly hasn't worked. No, that's like five to ten times the homicide rate of America. Right. So it's like, who are we kidding? So I still am seeing it as a gang situation after your introductory example uh-huh. of your work in Chicago. It really looks like the same thing on a little bit bigger scale. Yeah, I agree. Uh, these people are working together, both internationally and nationally. So how did you reach the leaders of the Chicago gangs? Who initially, I assume, not into virtue. I mean, they were into being as ruthless as possible. And you made a connection. Well, how did you do I, that? I was a little bit... Uh, different for them and you know I'm an ex-football player kind of we play pickup basketball you know under the lights at night okay and you know you you, you, you meet people that way you know when you talk about young guys yeah. you know and then I'm playing on Malcolm X and it's like okay nobody's ever told us about Malcolm X I mean, we know vaguely, but to hear him speaking and have discussion groups, that's my boy. And then they're really able to express themselves and identify and start to have meaning and purpose. 
you found some common ground. Yes. And kind of a, a you know, a, an intense level of common ground. So all you have to do to help the world mm-hmm. is find out what sports are the favorites of Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab. <laughs> uh, but we do have to find common ground. Yeah. And, you know, with Native Americans, the same thing, you know, there aren't a lot of vegan Native Americans doing Sundance. No. But there was me, and uh, they laughed at me for two years, but I was the only one for four years to go without food and water for the four days and to hold the energy and to do the eagle dance, which is you have the hooks in your chest for the whole four days, not just for an hour or two. And uh, I'll tell you, but then the four years, a lot of people were interested in veganism. (laughs) Like, what's this guy? Oh, and I didn't get sunburned. Everybody else got sunburned. Everybody's darker than mine. Well, the reason is if you're doing light food, you're used to eating the light. Yeah. So, so your body can just take in the sun and eat it. Literally, I, I mean, that, that's been proven. Joanna Budwig in uh, uh, Germany, uh, with her cancer patients, when she put them on uh, live food, they would be able to be out in the sunlight four times longer. Yeah, that's an interesting... There's all kinds of changes like that that happen. Yeah, because you're eating light. Your body metabolizes light directly so you don't get burnt. Yeah. So think four days in the sun, never leave the place. You're sleeping on the ground. You're hooked to the tree. And, you know, and you're just wearing a skirt. Okay? Do the hooks let you lie down? What? Do the hooks let you lie down? Are they lying? Yeah, you got, oh, we get closer to the tree and lie down. Okay. And but what I'm trying to say is that was a value to people. Here's this guy doing all these things that we haven't been doing. My tribal chief, Kim Nightchase, completely loved it, you know, because I was holding the Dharma for, for everybody. You know, because it's tribal, remember? And, and so somebody, if one person in the tribe holds the Dharma, then it's for the whole tribe. Are you saying that you were able to talk about live food with the tribal chief? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's different than eating buffaloes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was in there, I stayed in their home for a few days, you know, um, it's um, it's good. I mean, we got to be good friends, but how did that happen? Okay, just it's not like my personality. It's like here's a guy I did it. What did I do? I showed courage. I showed the more ethics. I held the dharma of the Native American sun dancer when no one else was able to go four days without food and water. You see what I mean? That drew respect, that drew camaraderie, and people got more interested in being vegan. I wasn't promoting it. I was just there to do the Sundance. Yeah, but they noticed that you were doing some things different than they were. That's right. Exactly. And by the time the four years were up, at the end of the day, you have a kind of a big feast. 
there was lots of vegan food there at four years, not at the first year. How would you look at, you know, I, I keep trying to apply what you learned and what you demonstrated to the gangs that are running the world right now. And one of the questions that comes up is, all right, you know in a Native American tribe what the power structure was. There's the, the chief, there's the, the elders, the advisors, the medicine people, medicine men and women who are helping. Um, you know what the structure is. You can see it in the world gang network right now. How do you see that structure, basically? What's the structure of it? Yeah, well, here's the thing. We all shared a larger value. What you call the, the great white father, there's a value of God, there's a value of spirituality, there's a value of uh, operating honorably, okay, there's so a value you, of courage. You came in with common ground right away. Yeah. And that made a big difference. I don't know, and that's why it's hard to answer the question. So here we are. We're all these different cultures and different people, but we share, blatantly share common values, including spilling your blood on the ground, which you do when you get pierced and you know you bleed and all that. Right. So the, the point I'm making is we already had the common values, and we are living by them. So there's a natural respect. So are there no common values at all? If we look at the network? I don't know. I can't answer because I, I, uh, I'll tell you what I experienced. It just is part of the mental health career development program and walking, working with the NIMH. Uh, there were some people who really did want to do well by the world, you know, they, they really did care. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sharing of common values at that level. It is my belief, but I'm not, I don't prove that the same thing happen, can happen in government when you're there. Over time, you begin to sort out who's sharing the values and not. It's also true in the Army and the Navy and the Air Force. Okay, and so over time you begin to see who's sharing your values versus who is just doing whatever to get ahead. And so I think it could work. It would have to be, you know, more more kind of conscious effort uh, to, to do. You have to work below the leadership, you know, because if you take an organization like the United Nations, for example. They have a lot of employees and a lot of volunteers and a lot of people working in their structure. And I would say 95% or more have good motives and they don't know who they're working for. And if you approach those levels, middle management, there might be common ground because they're there to save the world. It's a little more challenging when you get higher in the power structure. Well, it's a challenge in different ways. I also worked with the United Nations. We did peace meditations in right. New York. And um, initially it went pretty well, and I worked with a lot of middle-level people mm-hmm. from all the different countries. 
to join the meditation. It was good. But then there's something changed. You know, I get to 1998, it's like, uh, suddenly we can't use the meditation room. Hmm. Suddenly they won't allow the organizations to participate in the meditation. Suddenly we can't be in the building. In other words, there was policy change at the top, and we, we couldn't really undo it because, uh, you know, we didn't have the, the, the political strength. And you, you couldn't communicate directly with the people who made the policy. We don't even know who made, made the policy. They just change. Okay. So somebody realized at those upper levels that maybe meditation was actually something that might accomplish what they were not in favor of. Yes. No, I did work with Robert Mueller, who was like a assistant secretary. And, you know, we did different things together. But then he retired, you know, and and then I worked with him in, in Costa Rica also doing meditations as well as with the president of Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. But it's different. In other words, he, he, he wasn't the secretary general. He was the number two. And um, he, he, as you point out, they had good intentions. He did. Yeah, I think most but of But something good. happened. In, in the space of one year, literally, they uh, everything changed. We couldn't use the meditation room. We couldn't do this. We couldn't do that. You know, suddenly, all these restrictions appeared. You know, and, and nobody, including you know, uh, high level staff uh, of, of the different countries, because we have people from all different, all different countries meditating uh, for Peace Twenty One. Uh, and each equinox and solstice. That's four times a year. It wasn't like that big a deal. Nobody right. could quite figure out what happened. It just that we weren't allowed to use the meditation room. Hmm. And, you know, and there was a shift in the whole. And then I stopped fighting. I left. You know, I, um, and the whole thing just kind of faded out. But there is a. There is obviously somebody figured out, as you said, this is maybe not what we want. It's actually improving the world. Yeah, because I think the reason that so-called spiritual things and meditation things and religious things are not banned on platforms like YouTube is they assume the leaders think that they don't do anything. They're not, right? right? So people can be busy being spiritual while we do the real stuff and take over the world. And it's just going to be a distraction for them. But if they start thinking that it's real, that would be start being banned as well. Right. That's what happened at the UN. And they, you know, because people were listening to what we were saying. Right. I'm just, you know, what this is talking about is working on multiple levels at once. Because up to now you've been talking about reaching all levels with meditation. I mean, you reached violent criminals even though they didn't consciously know it. And I'm saying, well, yeah, do that as the main focus of the program is the meditation because that gets through the defenses of the worst bad guys. But I'm thinking if you can do 
some kind of physical level work that is also working toward the same end, like you did with the gangs. That would be great to be able to do both at once. That's why I was trying to figure out what it would be. Well, everybody has to build up trust in the, in the, in the kind of, you know, and mutual respect and doing things commonly together. Right. And those are things. So, and then that takes you to courage because you care about those around you. It becomes automatic and normal. Yeah. Yeah. And so for the United States, you want to bring back that caring courage. And, uh, you know, right. not have a New York subway situation. Somebody attacks somebody in the subway and nobody intervenes. Right. It's not. It should be immediately, you know, five or ten people in the subway car just intervene. Right. It's not that they want to get hurt. It's that they just don't have a choice. Right. They know they have to do it right away. Right. So the main thing is consciousness. Yes. And an active intent coming from consciousness. Yeah, it becomes what you live. Yeah, and that's like, I, that's why I use the thing of the Sundance. It's like, well, yeah, he's not talking about veganism. He's the only one making it for four days without food and water. In the sun, he's not getting sunburned. What is going on here? Check out what he's doing. Huh? Yeah. And it's like, you have to show, you have to be there being aligned. That's why playing basketball at night, you know, with the gang members, it's like they like that, you know. What was the timeline relative to when you were doing the gang work in Chicago and when you were doing the Native American involvement with the Sundance and all that? Oh, uh, Chicago was uh, in the early 60s. Uh-huh. And Native American was uh, 2000, 2002, 2004, something like that. Where? Southwest somewhere? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the answer is Nevada. And uh, then we had our own spirit dance, the old ghost dance, where we were. We would do that once a year. But Nevada is where the sun dance was. Okay, interesting. So there was, uh, you know, a 40-year gap. Yeah. One of the real challenges of working on this stuff on the physical level now with trying to avoid the world completing its journey into suicide on a global scale is that groups that become effective um, get infiltrated and subverted physical groups. You know, especially if you had a group that was making a real point on a global scale and it's starting to attract leaders away from the power structure and that sort of thing, you'd become a target. So I don't know if it's known how to protect against that. Well, I think it's possible. What you you see is, so those kids, black kings, they grew up together 
they knew each other in their four block area or six block area. In Chicago. Yeah. Native Americans. People knew each other. They lived near or around each other. Is it I mean? You're saying it would be harder to infiltrate if everybody knows each other. Yes. So um, but what I'm talking about is a national or international group. Because we're trying to bring the countries together so they don't have to blow each other up. Well, you know, that's a different thing. But when people are meditating together, yeah. there's a kind of a knowing that happens that, that does create some bonding. There has to be some level of bonding, that's what we're saying. When there's some level of bonding, you kind of can tell uh, if a person is sincere or not. I think that's the way I would talk about it. So it's a, it's a bonding test in a way. And it's not like what the gangs do. Some of the gangs do is you have to do some violent, mean thing. That's that's not exactly bonding. You know, bonding is you're meeting, you know, each night you listen to Malcolm X, you're doing, you're, you're, you're together, you're standing up for each other, you're, you're living together in a certain way. And there's a kind of bonding that's there. And basketball really helped. Well, yeah. I wish I was a better shot, but basically, I was extremely good in defense. I blew their minds because I was very fast yeah. and I could block shots right and left. Okay. You know, I could, somebody's going to bring the ball up to shoot, bang, I knock it out of their hand. So right. they were fascinated by that. I just wasn't a very good shot. <laughs> That's the only problem. <laughs> so I'm just looking for a way to attract world leaders into a larger version of what you were doing. You know, because yeah. and we're, we're given confirmation that that would be good because what Klaus Schwab did, who, who has obviously had a lot of backing from Kissinger and all these unseen people, but what he did is he started a school. You know, didn't exactly have the same motive as what you were doing, but he wanted the unified organization so he said, all right, why don't we have a school and train the future world leaders? Right. And he called it Young Global Leaders of the World. And now he's taking it to the next stage and has been quite successful. Trudeau is a graduate. Um, all these different people in countries all around the world are graduates. That guy, the prime minister, the guy who's the prime minister of New Zealand, who actually... Who, Looks like a woman. It's yeah, yeah. All these people are. He really went to that school. You know? Yeah, uh, Merkel from Germany. Yeah, a, so they're all colleagues in that way. See, the principle works in different ways. But they didn't have to worry about getting infiltrated, right? Well, I they don't were, know. They were sure. for them. Unless they're unless these white hat people are actually doing what yeah. they said. And they exist, the way it exists. Yeah, which I would love to see them being real. But I don't know. That has to be shown still. Right. So they do, in a way. Yeah. Because, I mean, learning from the other side is really good. I'm sure you did that in football. Yes. I literally memorized, I was a middle linebacker, okay, all New England middle linebacker. And it's like, you would memorize the team 
and what plays that would run and what positions of the field. Right, right. You know, that was more like an Amherst College approach. You know, it's like we we really had to memorize it. We had one week to do it. Yeah. So you read, you look at the films, and you look. It's like, oh, so it was that the not an easy thing, but it made a difference. Yeah, it would. And this is a really challenging um, riddle to see how you would take advantage of what the other side is demonstrating because they're doing things like, all right, first, make sure you take over the banks and the money system. Make sure you take over the media and put these things together and then become the people who count the votes, stuff like that. They thought it out pretty well. I mean, I'm, I'm unfortunately very impressed by what they've done. Really successful business model so far. But the spirit of the people will always win. Yeah, exactly. And if I said anything with these different experiences I've shared with you, mm-hmm. it's about being one with the spirit of the people. Right. So all the people that are open to starting that, what do they do? They Well, I think one realization is you got to work you know, at the system, at the school board level. you got to work at that very local level. Yeah. Build up the friendships. They're your neighbor. They're your this, and you build it up. Then time is a little short. So right now, we're there's a awakening on every level. You know, refusing to get the bioweapon shot. Right. You know, refusing to be locked down. Yeah. Getting, let's see. Let's see the progress in the reaction to this next pandemic. Yeah. Which building? Yeah, getting the police to ally with you. Yeah, with the people that they're supposed to be serving and protecting. That's right. You got it. But again, I'm very impressed with the level of hypocrisy, the level of people being paid off. This is immense. They've taken years to put this together. Yeah. Yeah, and spirit wins with enough people. Margaret Mead, you know, take a small amount of people to make change. Yeah. yeah. We're not there yet, but we will be. Because it could be a hundred. And the Torah says five will chase away a hundred. A hundred will chase away ten thousand. And it spreads. Yes. Because if, if a small number become conscious, that's contagious. Yeah, that's right. That's what breaks down we win. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's the pandemic they're afraid of. They want to just keep the nasty pandemics going instead. Yeah. That's kind of what we're looking at. So I want to leave our discussion with uh, a lot of optimism, not false optimism, because we have to be what we're talking about. And we have to make the links with other people, not with our mouths, but with our hearts. Right. right. And by leading with our hearts, that's that's how you ultimately win. Because people love the heart connection. That's kind of human nature in a way. I don't, that's my feeling. And when you're putting your heart out front, it's easier for other people to do the same. Exactly.
people look for what they can follow. Yeah, and on what they resonate with. Yeah. Well, that's how they decide what to follow. Right. Right, so be that first. Be what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So nice it's good. Be. That's why I enjoy talking with you. I know you, this is your life, you know. It's my life, you know. It's like, so we do. Right. Simple challenge. Yeah. But we will prevail. That's the key to understand. We will prevail. Uh, I call it cautious optimism. Well, you know it's going to be true at whatever time that finally gets together because it's based on timeless reality. Yeah. Right? My question is, how soon can it happen? Because the less of this unpleasantness we have of this torture going on all over the world, the better. It's a time of tribulation. I think we're looking at much sooner than later. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, that's my feeling. It could be another year or two of this. But the resistance is growing. Yeah, yeah. Resistance is not futile. No, exactly. Otherwise, they wouldn't have to say it all the time. Right. So go ahead, Richard. It's good rapid with you. Yeah, thank you. May everyone be blessed as you watch the show that you get inspired get get your heart open to the fact that we're all one and we're all in this together we all need to make that shift together nothing can stand against that move to the light because one match lights up the darkness and we need to quote make a pun match each other and it inspire each other to go at a deeper step. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We'll see what we can do with that this week and meet you back here after that. Yes. Wow. So the question in my mind is, with all the inspiring insights that Dr. Cousins just shared, what's going to be our response? You know, is it just going to kind of go over our heads or under our heads or around our heads or say, well, that was interesting. What can we do next? Or are we going to stop for a second and say, wait a minute, what he said really applies and we need to actually do it. So I think one of the main points was not to wait for somebody else, for some leader or white hat somewhere, although he was wearing a white hat, I noticed that, but um, not wait for a leader to inspire us, but look in yourself and say, what's the most beautiful, attractive ideal that I would like to see happen in the world? And realize that the reason you can see that is because it's in you now already. And we have X amount of time left, whether we're young or old. I mean, this life is so unstable in these physical, great physical costumes that we think are us, and they're just costumes. But whether you're two or 92, you can die, what they call die, at any time. 
So we've got some unknown amount of time. The people who want to destroy life on the planet 100% are accelerating their programs. So what are we doing? What are you doing? What am I doing? And you start not looking and critiquing what everybody else is doing, but what am I doing? And since we started Planetary Healing Club, I'm really focused on evaluating that every week and saying, come on, shake out of your lazy, comfortable, familiar reality and what could you do that you're not doing? And it starts with what you're doing inside with the thoughts and the emotions that you're carrying around, the mantras that you're repeating day and night without knowing it, uh, the, the meditation with, and prayer that you're doing 24 hours a day because everybody is. And if you look at it that way, what are you praying for? It's what you're focused on. For most people, it's worry and fear and frustration and resentment and regret and self-condemnation for all the stupid things we've all done. Thoughtless things, you know, where we didn't respect everybody else like we should have. We've all done that kind of stuff, at least the people that I know. Um, and if you keep condemning yourself for what you did wrong, you're going to keep doing the same stuff. So it might be good to just drop that and say, let's say I'm starting fresh from right now. How would you use your time if you had any idea how valuable it was? If you had been given some kind of a special favor or dispensation to go back to 2022 and have another chance to live your life the way it should be lived or could be lived. And it doesn't depend on anybody else. We don't have to wait for a leader or some perfect you know, person to demonstrate that's waiting and that's blowing away the time that we've got. So I think Dr. Cousins was saying he was talking to the gang in South Chicago. But we're like another scattered gang that doesn't know where we came from or where we're going, other than maybe in theory. And we could get inspired to believe like the people that he was talking about, that we have value, Right? stop the self-blame and start living whatever it is that's the highest that you believe and see what comes from that. So that's our homework. And um, we're going to be really dealing with that in Planetary Healing Club. You can take a look at that, planetaryhealingclub.com, but also um, stay in touch at lostartsradio.com. Dr. Cousins' site is drcousins.com and treeoflife.mn.co, if I remember correctly. Yep, looks like I got it right. Thank you, Doug. And uh, both Dr. Cousins and I are doing private sessions with people who need it, and as time allows, so you can get in touch with either one of us. I think there's a contact form at drcousins.com for him, and I'm at richardatlaw.com. Um and if you want to support what we're doing, if you think it's of value and you've got resources to do that, we have projects on hold that are waiting for money, and this is all commercial free. So uh, you can contribute at lostartsradio.com. There's a donate button there and subscribe star link. 
and help us share the links. There are places now that we can't put our shows because they're banned, um, or they would be banned as misinformation. Um, so help us do the sharing, and mainly the message is get quiet and still sometime, you know, even if you're incredibly busy, and stop and, and re recalibrate and, and look at how am I going to spend my time. Fast forward to the end of your life and look back. What is it that you wish you would have done? And we can all do that. And that's going to bring us common ground. And then we can help each other. So, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you very much. And uh, see what you can do towards self-transformation this week. Not some other time in the future when it is convenient. Start realizing that every situation that you're in and people that you're dealing with, that's tailored for the opportunity that they're bringing. Can you look and see that? And start using it consciously. And I'll do the same thing. And I'll meet you back here in a week. Give us feedback. Uh, any ideas of uh, what you would like to see us cover in these shows is welcome. Richard at com, and there's a... Uh, a communication link on lostartsradio.com as well. So, good luck with your work this week, and I'll meet you back here soon. Have a good night. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.